I'm quite interested in what my next guest, John DeWitt, who is the founder of the Small Enterprise Foundation, has to think about this and what you think about it as well. Give us a ring, 089-110-3377. John, good evening to you and welcome. Uh, hi, Ayabanga. John, I want us to maybe start off here for some of our listeners who might not be familiar with uh, some of the work that you do. Uh, because uh, I guess, uh, as you say here, you've got about 216,000 informal sector entrepreneurs and uh, very few of them taking up some of the support that is on offer. And I'm quite interested as we start in, uh, you know, who are some of these entrepreneurs? What kind of activities are they engaged in? And uh, which segments of the informal economy are they involved in? So just to give a bit of background, uh, my organization, Small Enterprise Foundation, uh, it's a, a non-profit organization that was founded with the aim of tackling poverty. And our particular route to tackle poverty is to, well, first of all, identify amongst the poorest people in the country and then motivate the women in particular to start some kind of micro-enterprise to generate income and you know, thereby come out of poverty. So we work with some of the very smallest of businesses that you know uh, everybody in this country sees on a daily basis. People who are well before the before COVID, people who are selling at taxi ranks, people who have very small spas and shops, uh, people who are dressmakers or they sell clothing, new clothing, used clothing. So when we're talking about enterprises, that's who we're talking about. You know, the mm-hmm. really smallest of enterprises uh, that we see you know, every day on our streets. Talk to me about, uh, I guess, what this moment has meant for them. I think many of our listeners would be familiar with the fact that many of them in the first phase of the lockdown weren't able to operate and some of those who were able to operate uh, were met and confronted with with much lower demand levels uh, than what they've been accustomed to. And one would have thought, I mean, that they would be queuing up and hurrying uh, to get the municipal permits to operate and to also access uh, some of the loan facilities on offer. Um, It's quite clear from the numbers that uh, you've put out here that uh, that isn't the case. Uh, yes. Uh, so once the, the hard lockdown started, what was the 27th of March, around there, um, we weren't quite sure exactly what was going to happen with all those entrepreneurs who we were working with. Mm. And so, so we started uh, calling entrepreneurs, and we would, we would call about 100 a day. So at this stage, we've called uh, made over 3,000 calls, interviewed 3,000 different people. And uh, in the beginning... Um, with the hard lockdown, we found that only about 30% of the clients we were working with, 30% of the entrepreneurs, were still uh, saying that they were operating their businesses. Um, and these would have been people who were uh, operating spa shops uh, in particular. Um, and and so it's a definitely very hard knock. Um, when we would ask those people who aren't operating, uh, or sorry, even those who were operating, we were saying, well, you know, how's it going? How is business going? Sometimes you'd find that they were saying, actually, we're doing better uh, because people can't go into town. They can't mm-hmm. go to the big supermarkets. Mm-hmm. So they come into us. But in fact, um, it was a bit surprising to us that more common the answer was, no, we're struggling because we don't have passerby traffic anymore. Um, and also money in the community is limited now as well. And, and people, everybody's kind of like in a bit of state of shock they're saving, they're being careful with their money. So there was less money flowing around in the communities. So, uh, yeah, it, it really started off 
on a very gloomy note. Um, Let's just talk briefly about the ability of some of your clients to access um, some of the relief measures and support measures on offer. Um, And I guess the uh, expectation in some quarters that that uh, application to access those uh, support measures be accompanied by some, uh, you know, attempts or commitments to formalize the operations. Yeah, you know, initially when we heard that the Department of Small Business Development had started the SPAZA fund, and it was quite a large fund, it was very exciting. But then as soon as one started reading the details that in order to qualify for this funding, you had to register with CIPC and then register with SARS and register with UIF. Mm. And not only that, that you had to then do reporting to them and commit to reporting to them on a regular basis. So... I'm not quite sure who on earth could have conceived of that. Anybody who knows, you know, our smallest um, businesses in the country. I mean, clearly, most people. I mean, access to the internet, or maybe there's somebody in the family who you know has got access to the internet. Uh, but most of us entrepreneurs have never tried to access the internet. Uh, so now accessing the internet and then. And trying to navigate the world of you know registering with CIPC and registering with SARS, I mean, it's all it is so disjointed from the lives of informal sector entrepreneurs. Um, so it was very very disappointing to realise this money is not going to go to the two million informal sector entrepreneurs in our mm-hmm. country. They are being left stranded. Mm-hmm. They are being ignored by the very department that I guess we all thought. This department is there to serve them, um, and it's very confusing because I think I think we all see our government as a developmental government, yes. a, a government which is very much for the people. We see it like that, and then there's a total disjoint between you know, at this moment, in this moment of absolute crisis, where my, my example of only thirty percent of informal sector entrepreneurs operating, in that moment coming in and saying, yes, 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 we can rescue you, as long as you jump through these really big hoops first. Um, makes no sense. Hmm. Tough times indeed. And maybe the other, the other question that uh, you know, I would have, uh, John, and I guess it relates to sort of what, what the prospects and the outlook looks like for informal uh, sector entrepreneurs uh, in the current moment. I mean, we can already envisage that some of uh, your clients that might be in the transport sector, um, you know, as uh, uh, people who operate minibus taxis or any other form of uh, transport might find themselves uh, in a good environment. But maybe some of those who work in retail segments uh, or service segments that uh, are unset to open anytime soon, uh, they probably might be faced with the prospect of enterprise destruction. And I'm thinking of, you know, hairdressers here and many of those uh, who rely on human contact to offer the service they do. Uh, talk to me about about that mix. Uh, I mean, you did say earlier on some have benefited uh, from the inability to move around and uh, having to get stuff closer to where you live. Uh, but I would also think that some have effectively seen the last of their businesses. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the I think the answer is is a kind of a mixed answer, uh, and it's a lot like a lot of what is happening to us to all of us in COVID, you know, where a lot of the time we find ourselves guessing, you know, what will tomorrow be like? What will next week be like? It could be like A or it could be like B and A and B being very different from each other. And that's and actually for the informal sector, it's like that as well. So on the encouraging side, 
uh, we have seen those respondents of ours where only 30% were operating their businesses. By the end of May, 56% were operating businesses. But the, the truth is this would be when we would call entrepreneurs and ask them, you know, are you operating? And 56% would say yes. But if I talk to my operational staff, they would like uh, shake their heads and say, no, no, it's definitely more than that. Um, and so that's, that's some of the, the beauty and the excitement mm. of the informal sector. That um, I mean, they have always been under the radar, uh, not because it's a luxury and, and an activity they're doing. It's because this is how they put food on the table. They have they have to run their businesses. Mm. They have to earn income. Uh, so it is, it's much more likely that maybe by the end of May, maybe about 80% of people were running their businesses again. And, and, I'm, and I'm sure now it's going to go over to almost 100%. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the other side is, so it makes things so difficult. Uh, the, on the other hand, yes, there is less money. Mm. Yes, there's more unemployment. Uh, yes, for sure, if your business was hairdressing, um, you know, you, you, can't, you can't operate that business. I think entrepreneurs will turn to other businesses in, in, in many occasions, or they will, I mean, this is the informal sector we're talking about, they will be running their hairdressing businesses, but, you know, quietly, very quietly, and obviously at, mm. at a very low level, so not the kind of income that they used to have. Okay. John, we'll have to leave it there, but, uh, I mean, I guess I uh, really appreciate you taking time out to speak to us, albeit uh, to uh, deliver... Uh, you know, some sobering news with uh, a lot of ominous signs there. But uh, we'll have to leave it there and really appreciate you taking time out to speak to us this evening. Thanks, I really appreciate it from my side. Awesome stuff. Uh, John DeVette uh, from the uh, Small Enterprise Foundation speaking to us uh, this evening here on uh, Metro FM Talk. I'd love to hear your perspectives on this. And, uh, yeah, some uh, in the informal sector finding themselves in tough conditions there. And uh, I guess even the prospect of um, support in the formal sector, probably not enough to, uh, you know, know, compel people uh, or to even incentivize them to formalize their operations because there's all manner of other things Uh, that come with formalization that might not necessarily be uh, possible or even desirable for many of these enterprises. We take a brief break now and uh, take a look uh, thereafter at some of the stories in our communities happening all around us. And uh, we'll uh, certainly uh, cast our sights on a few of those. And um, some of those uh, stories, of course, uh, involving uh, calls by the ANC for calm in the U.S. following uh, protests over the uh, uh, killing and uh, the murder of uh, George Floyd. I'd love to hear your perspectives on that, and we'll take a look at that on the other side. And uh, in our Under the Microscope segment this evening, we're going to be joined by the governor of the Central Bank. You don't want to miss that one. It's half past eight now, and uh, we're going to take a quick look at uh, some of the uh, latest developments coming out of uh, the United States of America, where protests continue there uh, as uh, the uh, anger spills over over the killing of uh, George Floyd and uh, he joins a a list of many others uh, who have certainly been killed in the same fashion uh, on the receiving end of police brutality. And uh, in response, the governing African National Congress here in South Africa uh, through the Department of Information and Publicity released a statement and uh, this uh, coming through uh, towards the end of the day last uh, yesterday, saying uh, the uh, ANC calls for calm in the United States of America following widespread 
Riots ignited by the death of George Floyd and other black Americans in the hands of police. We also call on all of Americans and their government to seek an amicable solution uh, to the current racial impasse. And uh, uh, yeah, what do you make of that? I mean, uh, certainly a lot of criticism there. And uh, one of those uh, pieces of criticism coming from former spokesperson of the EFF who says this is an embarrassing and in fact reactionary statement by the ANC says sis in essence the ANC is choosing neutrality in a situation of injustice certainly another kind of a statement I would have expected I mean um, to call for calm uh, in a clear instance uh, if uh, you think about uh, the historic bearings of that organization that uh, they would certainly uh, extend a hand of solidarity uh, to the uh, African people uh, in the um, colony of the United States of America if I can use that term they would have extended a hand of solidarity I mean I guess the call for calm happens in the context of even the Black Lives Matter movement uh, having said that many of those who have uh, committed acts of looting and arson have not done so um, of course uh, with the uh, blessing